to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick. And as always, we like to talk about things related to uh, resilience, business continuity, disaster planning, emergency response, and anything that can be related to those topics. I'd like to remind everyone, if there is a specific topic you'd like to address, have us address on this show, or be a guest on the show, please feel free. Go to the Voice America webpage uh, for Preparing for the Unexpected. There is a button. You can send me an email with your ideas or your request, and uh, I do respond to all emails because I'm the only one who gets them, and we'll see about getting you on the show or finding someone to come on the show and talk about what what it is uh, you've brought forward. Uh, Also, if you want to talk, if you're a vendor and you want to talk about any specific service or product you want to let everyone know about, please feel free to get in touch. We've got some adverts and sponsorships uh, available. And I'd like to let everyone know that uh, this year um, we're probably going to be back in uh, Phoenix for the DRJ conference, September 29th to October 2nd, and uh, possibly doing another live broadcast. I'm not sure yet what the day is going to be, but um, it last year was a great success, so we're really looking forward to uh, hopefully going back again this year. Today's show is brought to you by the people at Stone Road and BoastAssessment.com an application where you can monitor your own uh, progress in your program. Now, uh, long-term listeners, especially those that were listening in uh, December 13th, 2018, you will have heard our past guest. I did attend the uh, Continuity Resilience Today conference last year, and we did attend uh, this year again in May, because this show will probably air after that one. So... (laughs) uh, we did have a guest on the show, and we talked about lessons learned from Hurricane Harvey. And I'd like to welcome that person back today, because we're going to talk about biological and, if we've got time, agroterrorism. And I'd like to welcome back to the show, Denise Grimm. Denise, welcome back. Hi, how are you doing? And uh, I'm glad to be back. Well, I'm doing well. Uh, we just finished where I am. We just finished all the minus 40 degrees and yesterday we were plus 10. So we're all over the place, <laughs> but I'm doing fine. <laughs> My goodness. Well, we're happy that uh, that weather may be going out of your area soon. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> and I hope it's warmer where you are. Oh, we're in Texas, so it's always warmer in Texas. Oh, lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> Denise, just in case anybody uh, didn't hear the uh, show we did in December, uh, can you kind of give us uh, a bit of a background on yourself, um, let the uh, listeners know um, who they're going to be hearing from today? Sure, that's uh, very nice of you. Um, the 
The, the quick background is I'm an emergency management consultant uh, and have been for quite some time. I uh, started out in the healthcare field as an EMT paramedic and then a uh, emergency department nurse and an emergency department manager. And there seems to be a correlation between the word emergency nurse and emergency management in the minds of many healthcare folks. Uh, so I graduated to emergency management for healthcare facilities. And eventually uh, went into uh, the consulting business to work with healthcare jurisdictions and um, public health. Uh, I currently work as the director of business and program development for a health and human service agency down here in Texas, uh, and we do a lot of response uh, work here. Uh, we have uh, been deployed for almost two years solid on uh, a number of incidents. Uh, including uh, Hurricane Harvey, uh, Hurricane uh, Irma Marie, and uh, Maria, uh, the uh, Boston uh, explosion uh, that required sheltering. Um, so uh, we have a significant amount of boots-on-the-ground experience uh, doing uh, response um, in international and national uh, areas. Uh, and I work uh, doing training exercises and consulting or uh, jurisdictions uh, helping to write emergency management plans. And I um, previously served as the program manager for the state of Nevada's uh, mass care evacuation and sheltering program, their mass fatality state program, and their state COOP plans. Um, I serve on the Texas Department, uh, the Texas Disaster Medical System Steering Committee as the co-chair of the Mass Fatality Committee and as chair of the Family Assistance Center uh, uh, Committee uh, for that uh, TDMS group. Well, you are busy. I'm glad we were able to sneak an hour of your time away here today. (laughs) Pleasure. (laughs) Well, let's jump right into it. I I said in our uh, introduction we were going to talk about biological and uh, agro-terrorism. Let's focus on one for now, and we'll see how far we get. What is biological terrorism? Might as well start with the easiest question. Well, and is it that such a scary uh, term when people think about biological agents? Uh, it, it, it is a good idea to hone down on what actually that includes. So when we talk mm-hmm. about bio- biological agents of warfare, we're talking about uh, those things such as uh, bacteria, viruses, fungi, toxins. These are very small, particular size, one to five microns, uh, that are used to disseminate pathological or pathogen uh, microisms uh, or biologically produced toxins that will cause death or illness in human population, animal population, or plant population. So they, these are not just uh, agents that are harmful to the public. They're also harmful to the food and livestock uh, population that the public eats. Therefore, that transition eventually, as we talk about these biologicals, when not being used on humans, how they're used on our food sources and our crop sources to um, cause these kind of um, warfare uh, issues with the bioweapons. So, but we have a lot of agents that we already use with our crops and everything, right? So, how sure. how does this get about out there? Like, how how does this actually get used as a terrorist weapon when you know we're already disseminating things on crops and things like that? So, how how does this well, get get out there? 
that that's an interesting question because that actually is one of the uh, areas of concern is that uh, we have mechanisms in place that we use on a day-to-day basis uh, within our, um, our systems for um, agriculture that can potentially be used uh, by the bad guys to, uh, to disseminate some of these, these products. Um, and and that is, that's an issue as far as uh, looking at dissemination, uh, is, is how we uh, have such a, an area that could be used to weaponize these. And, and many of these things have been weaponized. The routes of exposure for these type of agents include inhalation, ingestion, absorption through the skin, uh, in rare cases, injections, like the case that happened with ricin uh, when that was injected um, into somebody. Uh, or contact with a contagious person. But primarily the routes that we, we have seen and that are on a, a large scale are through uh, ingestion or inhalation. So inhalation could be, if we were talking about uh, in a uh, crop situation, could be um, somebody doing a spraying of an uh, agricultural field, uh, which we see as a normal process. But if someone uh, determines that they're going to use uh, a uh, insidious agent uh, using that type of uh, dissemination, uh, it, it could happen quite easily. So that that is a, a concern of how these are de- disseminated. Well, then then there's the you mentioned the contact. There was the example in uh, the UK was it last year or the year before um, of the two people who just touched a doorknob or something, wasn't exactly. it? Exactly, and that's and that, used. Uh, as, that's been used on, on several occasions. There was an incident uh, some years ago when a, um, a pro-Nazi group uh, wanted to um, make people ill by spraying doorknobs uh, of a courthouse to, uh, to get people sick when they touch the, the, the doorknobs. So, yes, the contact is a, is a potential uh, way of getting uh, this exposure uh, out to people. Well, that's going to be scary for people. I, I, myself being a DRBCP person, how could I ever plan against something like that? Well, it it, it is, um, if we're talking strictly, and let's go back to the, 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 the biological um, process uh, that's used against humans, uh, what we've seen uh, typically, historically, is uh, using very highly effective um, high virulent uh, kind of agents uh, that oftentimes are natural in our uh, environment: anthrax, plague, uh, tularemia, smallpox, those kind of things, uh, which have been used historically uh, for contact purposes. So, so number one, understanding what those diseases are, and then uh, kind of educating the people that have the situational awareness to what looks not right. And what I mean by that is, uh, and this is a public health issue, this is an emergency management issue, um, but it is uh, being able to identify when things occur that that perhaps don't look like they're supposed to look. When we see, uh, for example, uh, disease processes presenting in the ER uh, that are at a wrong time of the year, are in the wrong kind of patient population, uh, there should be some level of, of suspicion that perhaps this is not um, a natural cause. Uh, case example, in um, several years ago, there was a uh, group in, um, I believe it was Oregon, 
that uh, was a cult group that, in order to make people sick, had induced um, a uh, bacteria into uh, the food source at the local um, uh, food places, um, such as buffets. And some 753 people were ill. Now, quite frankly, as an ER nurse, if I had 753 people show up in my emergency department with the same illness on approximately the same day, I have to have some level of suspicion that this is not just a happenstance uh, that somebody just did a bad job at at cleaning fruit. Um, Those are the kind of things that we, we have to look at and coordinate some situational awareness. So what we, we tend to recommend to, um, to planning, folks that are doing planning, is to um, train individuals uh, that may be in an uh, area of situational awareness that if you see a large number of people getting ill with similar diseases, high morbidity or mortality that is not commonly associated with that disease, uh, rapidly increasing disease incident. It goes from days to hours in a normally healthy population, unusual illnesses for a particular group, um, diseases with an unusual geographic or seasonal distribution, uh, unusual presentation, and importantly, as we go back into the agricultural area, diseases that present normally in animal populations, such as anthrax, presenting in the human form is, is not normal. Uh, which is a reason why when we talk about who we coordinate and collaborate with, the veterinarians often see some of these processes uh, much sooner than the public health folks do. So including those folks in that identification and situational awareness process becomes important. So how do I recognize that? Because you, you, you mentioned a, a good point here. Um, you know, groups, uh, you, know, you have a whole bunch of people all of a sudden show up at once, you know, from eating at a buffet or something. But let's take flu season or something, you know, in the middle of winter, especially where where I am up here. You know, we have we have summer and flu season, right? So, you know, we have a whole bunch of people getting sick. But how do we recognize the difference between is this a, you know, a bio, bioterrorism act or it's just seasonal flu? That's a great question because I – would want to think like a terrorist if I'm going to work uh, against terrorists. So in my sort of demented mind there, I would say, hey, that's a great time if I am planning a situation where I want to introduce something that I don't want to get caught at. I don't want to be standing there when people realize that there's something weird going on. But I want a delayed response, and that is one of the beauties of the biologicals. Most of them take an extended time period. That, you know, that's a big difference between biological and chemical. When you drop a chemical agent on a population, they're going to know immediately that they've been uh, hit with um, some nasty methylethylkilia stuff. But the biologicals are rather insidious because the majority of them, because they are disease processes, can take several days um, to 10 days to uh, appear in the population, and by that time, the the bad guys are long gone. So again, going uh, back to that situational awareness process is, again, looking at those things that I talked about is when you have people presenting with unusual presentation. Uh, the presentation is in populations that are normally not ill. And so a good example is, is, is anthrax. 
um, because anthrax can potentially have symptoms that are similar um, to uh, to um, there's a, a area that that can be similar to respiratory distress. Um, they it, it has an initial onset of uh, fever, malaise, uh, a non-productive cough, chest discomfort. What does that sound like? Hmm, that sounds well, like I the ex- flu, right? Yeah, I was just gonna say. Well, I experienced that you know a few weeks ago when I had the flu. There you go. So it, it is, again, it, it's insidious in its progression. It has an incubation period that's similar to the flu. It has an onset of, um, of uh, symptoms that are similar to the flu. And uh, then it differentiates. And after a short term, potentially of improvement, uh, there's an abrupt uh, onset of severe respiratory distress, failure, um, shock, respiratory failure, and, and, and death uh, within uh, 24 to 36 hours um, for people that succumb to it. That's unfortunately oftentimes when we get the idea that something normal is not going on. Um, so, again, some, some insidious type of uh, issues. Same thing applies to the plague. Some sy- symptomatic areas of the plague are, again, high fever, shaking, severe headache. Uh, now, sometimes you will get cough with uh, bloody sputum, but dyspnea, which means um, difficulty breathing, respiratory distress, presents in plague, too. So, again, walking into an emergency department saying that I have a fever and I'm having difficulty breathing and uh, respiratory distress during flu season uh, has the potential to not be identified uh, until it's differentiated through uh, blood tests or um, different kind of lab testing. So if you're not looking for it, you're right. You may just see it as a bad case of the flu. So we we could have you know we could be in a situation where you know we have have flu identified many people sick before we really figure out what's going on. Kind of what happened exactly. with SARS. Exactly, exactly. That's that's yeah. a very good um, scenario. Yep. Well, SARS, I, I know I'm, I'm I don't want to say close to, but you know I kind of experienced it because I was living in Toronto at the time and. You know, all our offices were splitting people up, and you know, unfortunately, you know, we had a lot of people get sick and, you know, things like that. So I'm kind of familiar with uh, how things worked with SARS. Um, we've come to the end of our first segment. We are talking with uh, D. Grimm today about bioterrorism, and uh, we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Success doesn't come by chance. It's a decision to take a chance on you. Attending the University of Choice is a goal, but not a guarantee. Dr. Cynthia Cologne offers you the formula of going from good, better, to best and increasing those chances of receiving that yes to your dream university. Get the one-to-one attention every student needs to succeed. Tune in to Destination University, live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you understand your feline friends as well as you'd like? Why do they behave the way they do? If behavior issues get out of hand, how do you fix things? Get the answers and more when you listen to Cat Talk Radio with host Molly DeVos. We'll give you the straight facts. 
offer some tried and tested ideas, and alert you as to what's being done in this country and worldwide to save cats and shelter challenges. Cat Talk Radio on Voice America Variety. This week on The Revolution with Jim and Trav, the boys are talking the hunter's summer. Every outdoor adventure from off-season prep and practice to dog day hunting pursuits, planning your fall hunting excursions, and more. Joining us is Jim Shockey of Jim Shockey's Uncharted and Michael Lee of Backwoods Life. Jim and Trav's discussion of the hunter's summer is presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. We all know that today our country is in many ways run by vested interests which have accumulated large amounts of power for themselves and at our expense. But this can be changed by recognizing the problems and then by adopting libertarian solutions to address them. Tune into All Rise, The Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. Judge Gray and his guests will discuss the problem areas of today and then present solutions that result in a better world for ourselves and our children. Tune in Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Get ready for the Get Down with Hurley Brown. Want to get inside the minds of the players and coaches? We talk everything sports, but with a focus on the NFL, NBA, and college sports. We'll review and preview this week's big games. We'll talk about the draft choices and free agents and go inside the teams for news, recruiting, and what's next from the colleges to the pro teams. It's the Get Down with Hurley Brown, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we're talking with Dee Grimm and we are talking about biological terrorism. Dee, in the last uh, segment you were talking about anthrax and this the symptoms being similar to flu when you mentioned between 24 to 48 hours now I, you may recall um the the last uh, us election um when shortly thereafter the election i guess it was there were a lot of envelopes going around with anthrax and during the break you mentioned there were different kinds of anthrax so i'm wondering you know how, can you kind of touch on that you know how long this you know, process takes because i think you said 24 to 36 or 48 hours, you know, that exposure and, you know, you, you can oh, okay. have, have death. Yeah, let me back that, that up. Um, what uh, I was talking about was um, what we call the pre-dome or the um, uh, incubation period. Um, normally is within that um, uh, time period of about one to six days of incubation, uh, which generally presents with, as I said, fever, um, feeling uh, sick, uh, a non-productive cough, some some chest pain, 
Um, there is sometimes a short period, a day or two of improvement, and then a, a, typically an abrupt onset of severe respiratory distress, uh, respiratory failure, and when, when it, these individuals go into shock and respiratory failure, death usually occurs within 24 to 36 hours. Wow. So that must have been really scary for those people that were getting all those envelopes there for a period. Absolutely. And, and that's kind of how they base. So, so uh, this is uh, the process that the CDC um, tends to use when it's looking at its classification of um, bioterrorism agents. Uh, they are classified into um, three different classifications. Uh, they're called categories A, B, and C. And they're based on not only their ability to be disseminated, so the more easily they're disseminated, uh, the greater a threat they are. Obviously, the greater their mortality rate is, the, the more of a, a concern there is. Um, considered also is the action required for public health preparedness, how much time and effort is, is, is needed to prepare for this. And then the fourth category that they look at uh, uh, is their ability to cause public panic. Um, And you bring up anthrax, which is a good example. Anthrax is not necessarily uh, the highest in some of these other ones. So, for example, their ability to be disseminated, anthrax is not contagious, which is a downside for a terrorist. You know, you want to be something that's going to take out as many people as possible. I'd probably want to go with something like smallpox or the plague, which, which can be contagious, uh, and that's what puts those in the category A. But anthrax is put in that category um, because, one, is their capability of causing public panic. People know what an- mm-hmm. anthrax is. If I tell you that you've got an outbreak of brucelliosis, um, you might go, oh, okay. What's um, that? I'm not, <laughs> what is that? Or, yeah. or maybe uh, tularemia. Now, tularemia is something that a lot of ranchers know. Uh, it's also called rabbit fever. And it's not very impressive. Uh, so a lot of people wouldn't be scared if you said you got an outbreak of tularemia. It is, however, a Category A because of the other areas, the ability to disseminate and mortality rates and actions required for public health preparedness. So when you look at those Category A uh, areas, uh, we're looking at those diseases, uh, those bacteria, and uh, viruses such as smallpox, anthrax, plague, botulism. Now, botulism is a great example because, again, botulism is not necessarily contagious. You would get it through contact or inhalation is possible, but usually it's through ingestion. But when people hear botulism, it scares them the poop out of them. But when you uh, use the word tularemia, people, again, aren't, aren't that excited. And then the other category uh, A uh, item is uh, your viral hemorrhagic fevers, which scare a lot of people, your Ebola uh, viruses. Is it because the the level of frequency for some of these things? Like we, you know, anthrax, uh, we've heard and, and seen. So... But, you know, you said ranchers have seen a lot of, uh, I, I forgot the, the technical word, but I'll call it what you rabbit said fever. afterwards, rabbit fever. You know, right. is it because I've never heard of that one or never experienced it, but yet I've and not seen it on the news, but I have heard anthrax on the news. So instantly I, right. I panic when I hear that one. Exactly. And again, uh, it, it, is, it, it is based on the, the public health impact, the dissemination, the public perception 
uh, and the amount of, of, of uh, preparation that, that's involved, they take all of those into uh, consideration. So, um, for example, botulism uh, on, on the impact for death is higher, actually, than uh, our viral hemorrhagic um, or as the same as uh, viral hemorrhagic fevers. Um, but perception may be different for Ebola than it is for other ones. Um, smallpox, the, the dissemination potential at the moment is, is nil because technically smallpox has been eradicated uh, and has been uh, for some time from, from the earth. Uh, if, if smallpox ever does uh, resurrect itself either through natural causes, because that's what viruses do, or through genetic bioengineering, which is a much greater potential, and I'm happy to talk about that, then that would change uh, that dissemination potential and the potential for death and uh, disease. So all of these things we're talking about are, are based on how they occur naturally and then are um, perhaps weaponized or put into formats that are disseminated. We haven't even begun discussing uh, the process or the concern that we have for uh, biologically engineered um, diseases, uh, and that there's there's a scary uh, process because a lot of your rules go out out the door. As far as normally, this thing is this particular uh, agent is not uh, infectious, but if we bioengineer it, and as you know, there is a lot of bioengineering going on. Uh, then that changes that pathogen potentially, and you can uh, geno- geome uh, sequence uh, processes that uh, allow something to become pretty dangerous that perhaps wasn't before. So how can I, you know, it almost makes you scared to walk out the door. You know, <laughs> the, the, there's so much that could happen, you know, touching the door handle. We mentioned that already. There's things in the air. Um, I, I honestly didn't know that anthrax was not contagious. I, I assumed that once you got it, it spread as well, not by the, the, the powder itself, but, you know, sneezing on someone or something. I didn't know that. So, um, it, it's, I, I, and I understand what you're saying. It's kind of called professional paranoia, uh, that, uh, you know, you can be concerned about everything. And um, you can you, you can um, worry ab- about everything, or you can you can look at uh, being proactively paranoid, <laughs> which <laughs> says that there there are there are bad people out there. There are people that want to do bad things. Uh, what we can do about it is be as prepared as possible within within. Um, reasonable limits. You know, that's why we do hazard vulnerabilities um, analysis and we do threat assessments uh, is so that we can determine what things are we most likely and most prone to be susceptible for, what things do we need to be planning for, uh, what things are, are the greatest concern, what are the likelihoods of these happening, and maybe that's a little more predictive in the natural disaster environment where we can do predictive studies on how often earthquakes happen and how, how big and bad the um, seismic activity might be or uh, those sort of things. That's a little easier to predict than it is to to predict human nature, mm-hmm. but also we, we can look at what historically has happened. 
uh, what is genetically possible out there. Uh, and and I, again, I do not mean when I talk about genetic engineering uh, to to imply that you know some of the movie stuff that you see out there, uh, you know, the military uh, using these sort of things uh, is is something everybody needs to be concerned about. But I, I think having uh, educated, understanding uh, situational awareness, and, um, and and being prepared for the things that are likely to happen is probably the best thing we do. And that is the emergency. Uh, management process is, is to look at viable and possible threats and hopefully be able to prepare for those things as best we can. You mentioned uh, military, and I think that's a, a, a good point to um, touch on here. What if something did happen? How do we coordinate things between, you know, first responders, uh, you know, whether it be police or EMS, uh, you know, the military, what happens? Because when we see something happening on the news, it, it, sometimes it's hard to tell who's in control because you've got FBI involved and police are around everywhere. How do you coordinate that when something happens? Well, that, and that's a good point, too, because historically, the use of biological weapons has been in the uh, process of warfare. Going back as far as biblical times when uh, using uh, different uh, kinds of uh, biologicals to poison water, uh, and the plague was used in warfare in the 14th century by throwing the bodies of, um, of people that had plague over the walls of the city to get people infected. Uh, it was used in World War II um, by the Japanese against the Chinese, and more recently in Iraq in 1988 uh, against the Kurds. And so it, it has been obviously used in, in that process. And uh, unfortunately, our uh, media and our uh, our Hollywood uh, folks do a, a poor job, uh, frankly, of uh, representing these when you look at the, the movies that go out there. In, in the first place, we're a two-hour society. Uh, everything happens and is resolved in two hours uh, in the time that you're in the theater. And we, we absolutely know that, especially with biologicals, due to the incubation periods, due to the, uh, the, the length of time that the process is for people being ill, that this really is not, it, it, it's not guns and, and hoses, it's really public health. Um, so uh, it, it's, it's incredibly important uh, when we're talking about biologicals that the public health uh, folks are involved in this. Um, there is a need for coordination, as you mentioned, between the public health folks, the law enforcement folks, because if it happens, it's, 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 a, it's a crime. It's mm-hmm. usually an act of terrorism. So it is a law enforcement uh, process. The CDC has had a course uh, at one time, and I, and I honestly don't know if they still do it. I used to teach it, called Forensics Epidemiology, um, that uh, talks about coordination between uh, public health, medical, law enforcement, and emergency management uh, for this entire process, because that's what has to happen. This is not, this is not a, a type of uh, event where the law enforcement comes in, we're in charge, and we don't need to talk to anybody. Uh, they, need, they absolutely, in, in my opinion, need to coordinate with the folks from public health, because this is a public health threat. It is an act of, of terrorism, but it's also a public health threat. Threat. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the other group of people that should be included in this process and quite often are not, um, are, as I said before, are the veterinarian and the ag uh, folks because they are most likely, frankly, to see some of these disease processes in the animal population first before they are um, presenting in the uh, human population. So they know what anthrax looks like. They know what tularemia looks like. They're more likely to be able to say, hey, you, this, is, this is a um, biological that's appearing in a unusual uh, pattern, and this is a problem. So coordination collaboration is federal, state, local partners, but it is absolutely also coordinating with your public health folks. So, but if something does happen, who's really in charge? And maybe I'm I'm stuck in the the Hollywood uh, two hour thing. You know, you've got one hero who can do everything. But if if some when something really does happen, who's really in charge? Because you you see fires and you know it's the fire marshal. You know, you see a murder, you know it's the police. And I know you mentioned you know it's healthcare here, but who's really in charge? You know, because you don't really see the the healthcare people. You know, unfortunately, you know, because they do a fantastic I, job. You you do a facet, fantastic job, but who's really in charge? You know, if there is some sort of a situation like this, who do we that, go to? That's a, that that gives me a, a real quick story I need to tell you because I was involved in a uh, uh, biological uh, weapon of mass destruction uh, event at the hospital I worked at one time, and that very question came up. Uh, we had an individual who had sent a letter to the hospital with white powder in it, and uh, I was the emergency manager at the hospital at the time. And of course, the the when it was realized that this was a potential um, terrorist act, uh, and the nine one one was called, everybody showed up, literally, including the news media and everybody. Uh, and the first discussion that occurred out in the parking lot was who's in charge, and the gentleman that walked up with the um, with the hose and the, and, the, and the fire guy said, I'm in charge. And I said, well, why are you in charge? And he said, well, because this is something that may be a potentially hazardous material, and if we have to decon this, we're going to be in charge of the decon. And he wanted to bring everybody in that hospital out into the parking lot and decontaminate them. The next guy that stepped up had a gun, and he said, I'm in charge. And I said, other than the fact that you've got a gun, why are you in charge? And he said, because this is a crime scene, and because it's a crime scene, we're in charge, and we are locking this place down. Nobody's getting out. Nobody's going to be deconned. We're in charge. The third person mm-hmm. that showed up was from the public health department, and they said, well, we're in charge. And I asked, why are they in charge? And they said, because this is a public health issue, and we need to do uh, an epidemiological survey and all that other stuff. And at that time, uh, another car drove up, and a gentleman stepped out, and he said, Hi, I'm with the FBI. And I said, Well, I suppose you're in charge. And he said, No, actually, I just came to see what was happening. Um, And at the same time, we at the hospital contended we were in charge because this was our facility. The bottom line on the story is that at one point in time throughout this entire process, everyone may have been in charge. At the initial onset where there's a crime scene and we don't know where the terrorist is, who the victims are, it, it, it will probably be the law enforcement. 
And at some time after, it's been determined that there is no, um, uh, the, the bad guys aren't there, that the place is safe, and that we've had people that may need to be decontaminated, the fire department may be in charge. And then as it leads mm. into the investigative process, then perhaps the public health department uh, is in charge. This is, this is why we have unified command under incident command system, is so that we work as a collaborative body to make decisions, uh, in a unified and coordinated manner so that the decisions are across the board. At some point in time, yes, there has to be a person, a body that's in charge of that phase. But just like um, with mass fatalities, when the people are alive and there's a crime scene, it's going to be the individual uh, that's from law enforcement. Once everybody's been accounted for and it's a death scene, then it may be the medical examiner that's in, in charge. Interesting. Did I not so, answer your question with that? <laughs> yes, that's that's interesting because it, you know, like I said, and like I said, maybe it's the Hollywood you know thing sticking in my head. You know, there was always one person, but the way you explained your personal example here makes sense. Depending on where you are and how the situation evolves, somebody else could be in charge. I, I, I that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, like I said, the, the two-hour, um, we, we have a problem. We're going to um, destroy San Francisco and save it in two hours. It's just, just such a disservice. No, no, no um, insult to the rock, but it's such a disservice <laughs> to, um, or Dustin Hoffman or Tommy Lee Jones. No, no, no disrespect, but it, it, these type of things are not always, like I said, guns and hoses. They are oftentimes epidemiological um, uh, research and um, surveys and uh, doing case studies, and these things take time. And I think that's a great spot to end our second segment. We're talking with Denise Grimm today, and we're talking about bioterrorism. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Success doesn't come by chance. It's a decision to take a chance on you. Attending the University of Choice is a goal, but not a guarantee. Dr. Cynthia Colon offers you the formula of going from good, better, to best and increasing those chances of receiving that yes to your dream university. Get the one-to-one attention every student needs to succeed. Tune in to Destination University, live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you understand your feline friends as well as you'd like? Why do they behave the way they do? If behavior issues get out of hand, how do you fix things? Get the answers and more when you listen to Cat Talk Radio with host Molly DeVos. We'll give you the straight facts, offer some tried and tested ideas, and alert you as to what's being done in this country and worldwide to save cats and shelter challenges. Cat Talk Radio on Voice America Variety. This week on The Revolution with Jim and Trav, the boys are talking the hunter's summer. Every outdoor adventure from off-season prep and practice to dog day hunting pursuits, planning your fall hunting excursions, and more. Joining us is Jim Shockey of Jim Shockey's Uncharted and Michael Lee of Backwoods Life. Jim and Trav's discussion of the hunter's summer is presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
We all know that today our country is in many ways run by vested interests, which have accumulated large amounts of power for themselves and at our expense. But this can be changed by recognizing the problems and then by adopting libertarian solutions to address them. Tune into All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. Judge Gray and his guests will discuss the problem areas of today and then present solutions that result in a better world for ourselves and our children. Tune in Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Get ready for the Get Down with Hurley Brown. Want to get inside the minds of the players and coaches? We talk everything sports, but with a focus on the NFL, NBA, and college sports. We'll review and preview this week's big games. We'll talk about the draft choices and free agents and go inside the teams for news, recruiting, and what's next from the colleges to the pro teams. It's the Get Down with Hurley Brown, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. We are talking with Dee Grimm today, and we've been uh, discussing bioterrorism. Uh, Dee, you gave us some great information in the last two segments. Now, Let's talk about the last piece. What do we do with treatment for exposed victims? How do we you know, address that and prepare for it or respond? Again, I, I think this goes back to being proactively educated about the disease process for the, the individual agent. Uh, as we talked about, not everything is contagious. Um, Initial exposure to anthrax is not contagious. Initial exposure to botulism is not contagious, given that it hasn't been, you know, somehow genetically engineered. Uh, so we treat uh, most of these uh, bacteria as we do with any other bacteria. We treat them with um, antibiotics, uh, things like uh, doxycycline and, and um and tetracycline and, and, and other types of antibiotics that work on most um, bacteria. When we are talking about viruses, that gets a little trickier because um, as we're trying to educate the public, mm-hmm. um, vaccines, I'm sorry, um, antibiotics don't work on, on viruses like the flu and, and those sort of things. So um, we have some limited uh, processes for those type of uh, issues. Uh, what we look at for uh, viruses is we tend to look at hopefully vaccines. Um, as you may recall, with smallpox, if anybody's older than a certain age, they have that little uh, mark on their arm where they got that uh, they got that uh, little scar from getting a, a yes, vaccination I remember that. Uh, yep. some time ago. 
but if your younger population after a certain age um, does not, I can look at a crowd of people and tell which ones um, receive the smallpox uh, vaccination uh, because by the time it became um, uh, obsolete, uh, people stopped getting those vaccinations. And that, and, and that is a public health concern if smallpox ever reemerges itself is that we have an entire population of individuals who have never been vaccinated against that. Now, mm-hmm. be that as it may, we don't really know if uh, someone my age, which I'm not going to tell on the radio, um, <laughs> have received that smallpox vaccine. If, in fact, I'm still uh, going to be uh, as less uh, susceptible as someone who's not immunized. We don't know that. We don't know how long the vaccine uh, lasts for um, because I got mine when I was a child, and that was a long time ago. So... Um, th- those are parameters we worry about with viruses. Generally, we're looking for viruses at some kind of vaccine that will um, help those, as, as we've done some research uh, with uh, the viral hemorrhagic uh, fevers. Uh, we also have to look at new emerging uh, diseases that are coming out, the um, MERS uh, virus, the Middle Eastern uh, Respiratory Syndrome, um, those sort of things. Again, we treat them as a bacteria or a virus, depending on what it is, and we want to be able to do uh, antibiotic strategies. Now, we do have a uh, pathogens that we treat a little differently, and those are toxins. And a toxin is anything that's produced by a plant or um, can be produced by animals. They can be synthetically, chemically engineered. And they're not naturally contagious, but they can be pretty deadly. And that's your categories of things like ricin, which comes from castor beans, and botulism, which comes from my bad canning down in my basement, um, and uh, something called SEB, which is uh, Staphylococcus enterotoxins, um, which is food poisoning. Uh, so these things are uh, toxins, and they generally are not uh, resp- as responsive to uh, things like uh, antibiotics. So that's a different category that we look at uh, as well. Um, and we treat those like botulism, unfortunately, is treated primarily with um, intubation, uh, and uh, it's long-term, and there is some uh, antitoxin available, but that's just a different category. So... so- what happens, you know, using what we talked about beginning uh, of the show where I recognize someone with the flu, or I think it's the flu, what should I be doing? You know, because our first, you know, thing is, oh, I can get through this. I should go home. Uh, I'll continue to go to work. Uh, you know, I go home. I still go curling. You know, I'm a curler, you know, um, uh, or go play soccer or whatever. What do I need to do, you know, when, when something uh- happens? Again, I would go back to that professional paranoia that says um, be alert, be aware, but don't think that everything is out to get you. Uh, and, 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 and the rule of thumb that, that I go by is if it doesn't look right, if, if it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, and squacks like a duck, that's probably a duck. So if, if I see something that just doesn't look right, I'm going to have heightened situational awareness. And again, going back to what I talked about, unusual diseases during an unusual time of period, unusual mortality or morbidities, um, 
uh, in, in unusual populations. You know, we tend to see flu being most acutely um, dangerous to the very young or the elderly. When I see people coming mm-hmm. in and perhaps having high mortality or morbidity rates because they have the flu in their 20s or 30s, you, you have to have some level of concern that something unusual may be, be going on. As far as how do you take care of yourself, um, I, I'll, I'll go back to the public health stance is that you use your, your universal precautions. Uh, we, we do social distancing. If you know that there's a flu outbreak, I would not recommend going and doing a lot of hugging at social um, meetings, uh, using uh, some pr- respiratory protection, hand washing. Um, that's common sense stuff that, that helps a lot. If you're a first responder, then you need to know your um, PPE. You, you need to understand what is your personal protective equipment, which of that equipment is, is the, the right one to use. Again, the movies always have these guys in these big level A suits with the big protective bubbles on them and the breathing apparatuses on the back. The majority of these things that we've talked about, uh, you don't need that level of protection. Uh, you, you need a lower level of protection, but that's a training issue. That's an education issue for our first responders. They need to know what's the right gear to wear to be protected and be appropriate. And that's when I say first responders, I don't just mean fire and law enforcement. I, in this case, probably mean healthcare providers more than anything else because for biologicals, that's where these folks are going to present. They're going to present in the emergency department, at the doctor's office, at the clinic. And so we do need to do biological education for healthcare providers. As a matter of fact, there are several states, including the state of Nevada, that it is mandatory that if you are a healthcare worker, um, nurse, doctor, uh, EMT, paramedic, a uh, couple other categories, that you're required to take a certain number of hours of weapons of mass destruction training for healthcare providers to understand what to look for, what to know, and what to be concerned about. Wow, that's interesting. And I do like your your point there um, uh, with SARS and H1N1 and H1N5 and or H5N1, sorry, uh, recently going on and mentioning the uh, washing of hands and things because that's what a lot of practitioners did, you know, with their facilities. Everywhere you went, there were the hand soaps and the white, you know, white um, what do you call them? White hand wipes for desks oh, and wipes, everything. Right. Yeah, just to, to clean everything to help, you know, uh, prevent that from spreading. So being exactly. using your um, your risk assessments or your hazard assessment, whatever you want to call that, you know, to help minimize the impacts that could happen. Because we, we do tend to, again, we do tend to be reactive. And I am old enough to remember the AIDS um, epidemic when it came out. And uh, I was a healthcare worker at that time, and I remember how people panicked, and we had medical people that said they weren't going to work with individuals who had AIDS because they would get it and die. And we uh, we understood that understanding the property, the principles of universal precautions, and applying those uniformly, uh, regardless of who we're taking care of in the clinic mm-hmm. or hospital setting, if you apply universal precautions then uh, there, are, there are very few of these um, bacterias and viruses that we don't have processes to deal with. So being professionally paranoid is, is what I call it. Well, believe it or not, we only have two minutes left already. 
Um, Dee, do you want to have take a minute for any closing comments with regards um, to bioterrorism? Again, again, just going back back to what we said at the very beginning: biological agents, chemical agents, weapons of mass destruction—all really scary terms. And 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 we do tend to um, popularize them in the media. And, and they, they, are, they are scary, but again, having uh, knowledge, um, appropriate education, and appropriate training to how to deal with these uh, puts us in a uh, position where, as first responders, healthcare providers, public health individuals, we can proactively uh, be aware of them and also um, treat and manage them uh, to the best of our ability. Well, I think that's a great spot to end on. Dee, thanks again for sharing all your expertise with us um, with regards to bioterrorism. Hopefully, uh, we've got some people out there that are listening and paying attention, you know, and you know, really help bump up their plans and their, their planning efforts and their response efforts. You know, and I, um, I mentioned during the break, I thought your uh, example with the hospital who was in charge of the incident management, I thought that was just absolutely brilliant. I really did. So thank you very much for your time. I greatly appreciate it once again. Always a pleasure to be on the show. Um, and we didn't even get to uh, agroterrorism, so um, uh, maybe we can set up a time and we'll do another show uh, based on that topic. Because you were right. Uh, just to let everyone know, before we started, <laughs> Dee said we probably won't even get to that one. And we didn't. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'd gladly have you back to talk about it another time. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And in the meantime, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.